Hey everybody, welcome to The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, joined by Andrew Harlick, and this is going to be episode 102 with Imaginary Forces co-founder, president of Wonderland Sound and Vision, the world-renowned creative director, Karen Fong, who joins us this week to discuss the tricky topics of finding your creative calling, some of her experiences becoming a mother and raising children, and some wonderful stories about the founding of the legendary design studio, Imaginary Forces. Later in this episode, Karen exclusively reveals some exciting new information regarding the motion design category in the Emmy Awards. To find out more information, follow the links in the show notes below. Let's roll. It's cool to take new challenges, I think, don't you? To keep yourself stimulated and kind of challenge yourself yeah I think that's the beauty of you know the work we do um you know you know I've been you know as many of the people you've you've done on these podcasts which I have been listening to uh quite a bit lately and it's it's so inspiring because I feel like we're all grouped under this umbrella of design and filmmaking and um you know art you know related you know music um all kinds of visual arts and and you know, it allows us to steer our, our little sailboats into any direction we want. And I think that's really interesting, you know, because just one little shift of a current can kick you to a whole different sort of island of possibilities. Or maybe it's not, I guess an island's not a good analogy, but I, th- yeah, I, I think, think so. you know, that's, uh, that's what I, you know, people, you know, I, I talked to, you know, friends I went to school with and some of them, Many of them didn't study design, and they said, "Oh, well, you just, are you doing the same thing?" And even though I still call myself a director and designer, if I feel like every project I'm doing something new, and that's the beauty of it. But this was a, a change for a completely different working style and pace, which you know I have mixed feelings about. Honestly, um, uh, you know I think I love a lot of the adventure and the um, the challenge of coming up with something um, a little bit earlier in the process. But I do also like. Um, the challenges that are presented to you as a designer when somebody's like, okay, these are the parameters and you have to work um, with that. And I think as much as I can get my, um, my hands on both sides or, or both kinds of projects, um, that's what will be the most fulfilling. Awesome. Yeah. You, it sounds like you're after the challenge and the journey of that challenge and seeing what yeah. is the outcome. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, you know, I think the interesting thing is that there are so many ways that we can work now I'm trying to almost design a way of working where I can take, you know, all that I've learned from years of designing um, for many different kind of projects and directing television commercials and, and trying to infuse, you know, this world of content with that, some of that same thinking and then learning too, like what challenges I've never had to deal with. Um, you know, like when you're thinking about content and shows, you know, there are questions like, is this character sympathetic enough for us to watch them every week, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole, actually, <laughs> and, the dynamics of the actual piece, yeah. Yeah, or is this world, like, you know, Mickey would always ask, and we'd talk about shows and ideas and say, like, why this show now? Or what, what makes it, why, why is this important to, to get on the air now? And I think that's an important question, like, you know, sometimes that we might skip over in um, the rush of our short-form life, you know, of, of like, the response of getting something on the air, which is a totally different and worthy challenge. But, you know, when you're a designer, you're always like, wow, here are the parameters and let me do the best I can with this 
that's a given, you know, sure, all sure. of a sudden you're in this world where there's those givens are not there. <laughs> <laughs> you have to make them yourself. Yeah. 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 That's so that's, a, that's an interesting way, you know, for my brain to work now. And I think a lot of us, you know, speaking for myself, you know, got into this because, you know, we are the, you were the, you know, we were the kids that could make things and could draw and you made things from scratch from your head because you were bored or you went off with your friends to, make that, you know, comic book newspaper thing that you had your dad Xerox on work and give you all the kids on the block. And like, you had this like start from this scratch mentality. Yeah. Um, and then now uh, we are, you know, also, you know, in our working lives, we're getting briefs all the time. So it's very responsive, right? Like you're feeling, you know, there's that old, that old saying that design is answering a question, right? Art asks the question and design answers it, right? Mm. And so people are asking us questions all the time. We're really good at answering them, and it's super fulfilling. But I also wanted to be like, oh, what if, you know, I, I don't want to lose sight of that part where I'm asking the question too. So, you know, that was a kind of challenge to myself in a way. Yeah, I recently uh, remember hearing a quote. It was from some really amazing human being. Um, but they said that, I can't remember the quote specifically, but they mentioned um, the importance of working from a like within parameters, I guess, like we, we as humans work best once we understand the walls of the box, I guess, if that makes sense. It's interesting though. It's the problem solving aspect. Um, and I think that's why a lot of writers or creators, um, will build a world where they can touch the walls. Um, cause when you don't, it becomes, um, almost quite void, um, and disconnected, but you know, that's up to subjection, you know, who likes either one, but the idea of what you're talking about, engineering something from a, a problem, basically that people are giving you as a brief and then solving it with design is, is different from what you're after now, which is interesting. Yeah. And I'm just to be clear, I'm, I'm working on with McG on some, on some long form projects. And so there's that part of my brain. And then I am also, you know, um, you know, still pursuing, title design opportunities and, um, and spots and everything. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to play both worlds now. <laughs> Interesting. So you're kind of, um, are you like a gun for hire now? Is that kind of where you're at now? Or you work with the director and then you also get contacted by various people to do title sequences and stuff like that. Is that kind of what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, kind of, I'm it's always evolving, but yeah, I have some, some opportunities there and, um, you know, some, op some, um, directing opportunities, my old friends at, you know, contacts of, you know, I've always been in touch with, you know, or uh, sometimes get in touch with, for me, uh, with me for work. And so I'm, I'm, I think, you know, I think I'm like a lot. I've learned what I've learned about myself is that I actually get more, um, creativity or I feel more, you know, I, I get the, the idea for the thing while working on the other thing I discovered. Sure. <laughs> I kind of always knew that about myself, but I think I need that kind of like um, contrast and rubbing up against things. I think that could only help me. Um, after, you know, I consciously took for a while, um, there was a, t you know, when I first started working with Wonderland, uh, which is McGee's company, I, I, I consciously didn't take, you know, the the design projects and, and any commercial directing gigs, gigs or anything like that because I knew that, I would just, you know, that's so easy to make that your whole life, you know, sure. and it's fun and great. And then it is. And so I consciously said, no, I want to step and get this other rhythm. Um, and so now I'm trying, I'm trying um, to find a balance between the two because I felt like, wow, you know, um, I always can compare it to like sort of being on 
you know, the, you know, a crack cocaine experience or, sure. you know, like you're that, that rush of like, wow, you know, it, it is a high of like solving the problem and working with your team and, and, you know, you're, 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 you know, it's kind of fast and you're, you're just all together and there's a sort of camaraderie of getting that, you know, the idea and then producing it and getting it out the door and then you take a breath and there's another one, you know, and now, you know, with the development, it's, it's stimulating too, but in a different way. And it's a little bit more like a slow morphine drip. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. And I think, I think that, you know, the more I can balance those two things with, um, the, I think that would benefit both, both kinds of um, creativity. That's sure. my, so I'm inching, you know, I'm kind of like inching, inching my way into like trying to f- design the best sort of balance between that. Um, and so, you know, um, yeah, so but I, I think I do miss you know I, I I've been in design for so long and and loved it for so many years that I f- it almost feels like wow you know I, I it felt a part of me was a little bit gone even though I was using those skills in a different way. Sure, that makes sense. Was there a bit of resistance when you decided to make this complete kind of shift? Was there any resistance to yourself like trying to find your ground and because a lot of times um, when you for me personally, when I make a significant change to the way that I do things or a new challenge, so if I, oh, I'm going to go make a film, and that's very different from drawing a picture or something in CG or something. Um, and the moment that I do that, um, I'm my body kind of, my mind and body, they kind of, a little bit of freak out session where it's, I'm trying to grip the these these things that I held onto as values, basically. Um, because they all fade away, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it was, you know, it's a challenge, um, because it is like you're, you know, that's why I compare it to a drug almost, you know? Yeah. It's a very accurate one, (laughs) you know, because you go through this withdrawal symptoms and this sort of like, um, and then you, you know, you start to question yourself. I'm like, am I this way because I've just worked with like this all these years or is my true nature that I'm just might be you know, um, more tuned to the uh, shorter format or, you know, a, um, a, this way of working, you know, it's like sort of a chicken egg thing. Like, I don't know, you know, you're always trying to step back or I, I try to step back now and then and be like, well, what is this, you know, my, is this really necessary? Like, you know, do I have to work like this or is this the best way is, or is this, um, you know, it's as hard as you know, nature nurture thing, you know, <laughs> sure, definitely. you know, I, I've, or I've, I just been so conditioned all this time that this feels like withdrawal, but you know, trust yourself in a few months, you'll get a groove with it, you know, um, and, you know, that the, the jury's still out with like the exact way, you know, when I compare like, you know, um, over a decade of working a certain way, it's hard to compare in, in, in a shorter amount of time you know if if i'll get used to that or not absolutely and it's i think one thing i've always said too in regards to taking challenges and not being um riding the same path is you should try new things because you never know what you're going to fall in love with next and it's important to allow variety into your life especially as a creative person um you might hate it and then you go well i really hated that so i'm going to try this other thing um, rather than regressing back to your traditional habits because we're all creatures of a habit, I think. And the moment that you succumb to that habit based off of fear, um, 
I think you, have, you forgot that stage of growth, you know, and it's important to grow personally. These are all my personal oh, you know, yeah. thoughts. So. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's great to talk to you about them because, you know, you can feel so, especially in the rush of like when you're, when you're working and you, you know, we get so engaged with, with our work, which yes. is great, you know, that you can, uh, you know, forget i mean it's just great like i just have you been watching mad men <laughs> i haven't that's the one show i don't andrew is it that's isn't that your favorite show andrew yeah it's yeah. great did you see i guess it wasn't last sunday the, the sun i think because i you know of course i watch them not in real time <laughs> sure you know my apple tv or whatever and the episode where don draper goes around the agency asking about what everybody's dreams are did you yeah you know and everybody's like a bigger account pharma you know, yeah. Coca-Cola, you know, and he's like, no, no, like, after you win that bigger account, what's your dream? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that's the thing is, we talked about living in the box, but at the same time, it's almost, I guess, you can equate the human experience, especially within creative, as, as building these boxes, um, almost as a way of building them higher and breaking outside of them and thinking bigger, because our limits are only bound by our imagination and that's the beauty of it you know um in this world as creatives like we're you can do anything you can print money basically um you can experience the best of the world if you want or not you know it just depends on your choices that's the beauty of it really it's in the eye of the beholder we aren't necessarily and i'm not trying to downgrade any other profession but a lot of other professions do not even come close to that power that that that, that that possessing this uh, trait, you know, allows, you know, so it's fascinating, really. Yeah, yeah, and I want to be careful for myself, too, like, just to be cl clear, you know, and something I struggled with, is I, I didn't want to necessarily put long form in a hierarchy above short form or anything we do, you know, like, I don't think there is a reason that a book is better than a poster or, you know. Sure, I'm not getting that at all. No, <laughs> you know, you know, um, but like, but, but even for myself, you know, cause you think to yourself like, cause you want to grow. Right. And what does that mean? Um, and many people have asked, well, do you want to direct a, you know, a feature film? And the, uh, so far and I might change my mind, but my, the answer is no, I just didn't have that. I don't have that drive for it. Whereas many people do, you know? Um, and so like, I was always, always asking myself, like, is it, you know, is it fine? You know, even if, if I don't, you know, what does going forward um, mean if it doesn't always mean bigger? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I guess it's, you know, that's another beauty of this too is is um, your perception is your own personal perfection, really, you know, and it depends on your own perception. Um, some people are completely blissful by doing the complete opposite of what we find value, you know. Um, they don't even know what a title sequence is or have no care. And that's the funny thing about it, too. It's I always uh, step back and realize when I've become this elitist asshole about fight, about fonts and, and typesetting, yeah. most people don't give a shit about it. And that's the, <laughs> that's the irony of being this kind of person, you know, yeah, is that it's not, you know, it's in the, the eye of the beholder. And sometimes it's worse to know too much, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's constantly, uh, do you find in your own self that, um, there's a duality that you're constantly trying to appease. Mm, you mean what way? Like, uh, 
Well, let's say like, um, let's use your career choices as of now as a decision. So like you're saying you're trying to find the middle balance now where you went kind of cold turkey and focused on the long form. Right. And you're trying to create a duality basically like balancing these two. Um, yeah. Like, you know, in the morning you wake up and go, okay, well, I want to be challenged and I don't want it to be a month long challenge. I'd like it to be, you know, this day-to-day kind of thing that I'm focusing on this one thing but when I leave I feel like I've accomplished something so that I feel that was a worthy day I guess if that makes sense yeah I think there's still a part of me that's a maker you know or I'm absolutely a maker sure um and I you know and we all want to be valued for our ideas but also you know I think there is a satisfaction in in the execution of it so yeah that balance where I'm hoping to get that rhythm where the the hum of the of the making and the um you know the kind of like crash you know the crash you know it's so it's fast and and stimulating like sketches you know almost um sure. you know can can support this like longer term thinking um and and that yeah i want to embrace that duality for sure and i you know and i do want to make sure that now that i've tasted you know i worked with somebody and worked with a company in doing those longer form things that I can keep it, keep it going. Cause it's so, it's so easy, um, to be on that treadmill, you know, and not, and, and to let those things go, you know? And then, and I think it's a nice time for me to, to think about, you know, like long, you know, like even like childhood held dreams, you know, like, so, you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm at a point now and I've always thought about, but I feel like I'm even more at a point now where I think about the idea of calling, you know, like what is my calling? Sure. Do you and, know what that is? Um, no. And it used to, you know, it kind of stresses me out sometimes or I would, I'd have to tell myself not to stress out about it because um, actually, you know, one of the most inspiring sort of creative stories or pe- heroes I have is the woman who created Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. Uh, I never heard of this. Um, Joan Gans Cooney. I actually wrote a paper of her with, uh, you know, about her in college and I'm actually... Uh, researching or doing a little bit more about her for my talk at the Motion Conference uh, next June, so I'm actually deep into this. But she, uh, but I've had a lifelong sort of fascination with her and the story of Sesame Street. Because uh, basically, you know, I always like to think to myself, like, wow, when she was a little girl, um, she couldn't have known that she was going to create like an icon of ch- t- children's television. Hmm. Because children's television didn't exist when she was a little girl, or at least, you know, she helped define it in 1969 in the way with Sesame Street. Um, And, you know, like even just 10 years ago, you couldn't have said, oh, I want to, you know, um, make the definitive app for, you know, experiencing um, a story or driving or whatever, because there weren't apps. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, so, well, so before that it even existed, she was already perceiving what she was going to manifest. Is that what it is? She well, was- no, I think she didn't. She couldn't have. So she, her story is that she was an activist, and then she got into documentary film. So she didn't come from a children's education background at all. Hmm. In fact, they um, and I'm going to butcher the story horribly because I, you know, anecdotally. Because <laughs> is there like a uh, biography or something? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple there's um. Gosh, it's Stories from the Street, I think it's that I just read, which is the story of Sesame Street. Then you can, you know, wiki her or whatever. But but basically, uh, you know, to shorten down the lore about this story is 
that they noticed that children were responding to ads on television, like memorizing the jingles, and it was came so easy to them. You know, they were really fascinated by all the fast moves. You know, because then as now, they use the most sophisticated and often more experimental visuals were used on the, the commercials. Hmm. So there was a, a legendary dinner party where, you know, there were the right people there, and they started noticing this about the kids. And soon, you know, through a series of meetings and brains, you know, they, they it kind of got this idea of, wow, why don't we use the best, you know, sort of like creative minds in advertising to help teach number and letter concepts to children. Um, and it'll be a show based on advertising. That's why if you watch Sesame Street, you know, it'll say like this show brought to you by the letter W. And I'm talking about Sesame Street classic. Like I watched it as a child. I don't know. I know there's, been, you know, different changes to the shows for today's Sesame Street. But, you know, when I watch it and say this show is brought to you by the letter W and the number three, and they were all those little kind of skits were takeoffs on advertising, yeah. you know. I love um, those. Yeah, and I still remember like so many of those segments, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine ten. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Burned into your head. It's like a time capsule. It's it's so well uh, engineered. I didn't even think of that actually. Yeah, this sounds fascinating. Yeah, now go and Google some Sesame Street shorts from that, your childhood, and you'll be I'm so amazed how fast they come back to you. You're like, oh, the ladybug's picnic, and, hmm. you, know, you know, and, you know, all these, you know, I kind of credit it with, like, probably teaching me, you know, you know, subliminally just, like, the wonders of amazingly animated typography. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really great, um, those old cell animations and stuff. Uh, I recently was watching The Point with my daughter. Um, it's one of my favorite old school animated films. Have you ever seen that? No. Yeah, I'm writing that down right now. It's really great. I think um, Ringo Starr does a voiceover, and oh. it's a really awesome story about morals and stuff, but it's really, really well done. Um, yeah, you can tell that um, like the creators of Adventure Time are fans of it. Um, it's not wacky and crazy like Adventure Time, but the way of this world, it, it feels similar in certain ways. It's kind of interesting. But sorry, I didn't mean to jump out over the Sesame Street thing. It's really fascinating. Um, yeah, the calling. Yeah, uh, so she was an activist. So back to her, like she, you know, this somehow this idea came together and it made use of her talents and because of course i'm researching this talk i, I know the definition or aristotle says calling is a you know your talents that overlap with the world's need right so it's like a venn diagram like you have all these talents right but maybe you're not using them for what the world needs best right hmm. perfectly great you know have a great happy but to, to elevate it to a calling you got to find where those places where where you should apply them that the world needs them right so that makes you know just I don't think about that every day, but I'm just like, I, I take pause, like, oh, okay, like, and I, and I tell myself, you know what, like, she didn't discover that till the, there was a time in her life where that, the, the things she had trained for or noticed or, you know, as a documentary filmmaker or her involvement in television, like, came into light with this opportunity for children's television, and then it kind of clicked, right? And she couldn't yeah. have really planned for it and, like, you know strategize for it and so it's like a little lesson to me like oh keep going on what you're doing you know be thoughtful with your ideas and your craftsmanship and build your relationships with all those people that you love to work with and at some point there'll be a time to activate it and just have faith in that you know sure 
that's actually a really good point because you never know when um, serendipity will occur or when you're going to fall in love or when any of these things are going to come your purpose or your, your chief aim or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think some of this is just blindly throwing yourself out there as far as um, like, let's use a Bruce Lee, for example, he's just a a, kind of like a, I've never met him, but he's a mentor to me in many ways because he's just a really significant human being. Um, But he had this one thing called uh, his chief aim. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. He uh, wrote a, a letter to himself um, years uh, in the past, and I think he wrote it to himself. And basically, it was like a reminder, and he just said who he's going to be in the future, and the things that he's going to do, and the money he's going to make, and all these things. Um, he achieved those things, but I think um, a lot of these people have that, when you have that vision, and you throw it out there, um, of course, the, um, the, uh, per- the person that won't agree with you or will kind of counter that will um, test your ability to achieve those things. But the person that throws themselves out there knows that they're going to be challenged by this, but they go ahead and do it anyways. The vision basically is, is what we're kind of talking about. And this woman kind of found her vision from uh, this perfect storm, I guess, probably like maybe like a midlife crisis. Is that what it is? Not crisis, but like kind of a midlife um, revision of, you know, the, what you what you can offer and how you can best serve the world, I guess. Yeah, I think she was a little different because, uh, at least in the biographies I've read, she's uh, always been an activist, and she, you know, used. I think what she she always said was like it. It wasn't like she was going to just enter to children's television, but she what she saw. Um, and again, I'm butchering and paraphrasing probably tor- terribly, but what she saw was the potential to use the new medium in such a powerful way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, it's so hard for us to imagine right now, um, you know, cause we're surrounded by edutainment to the nth degree, whole channels that we've all probably done the branding for, and, sure. you know, at 24 seven and apps and like the idea that edu, you know, television or, you know, apps and, um, and video and that medium can be, ed- um, educate, you know, um, education is sort of taken for granted. But when she did it, people were actually questioning. They're like, could television actually help teach? <laughs> I mean, children's shows on television, apparently, but they were like kind of simulations of classrooms a little bit more, Mr. rogers or, you know, Captain Kangaroo, but like more of like one-room ca- classroom sort of things with skits. And she really took it to another level with like the production value of commercials and, of, of course, bringing on, you know, Jim Henson, another hero of mine. Sure, he's a genius. Like, yeah, she brought a lot of geniuses i mean like when you look at the roster um you know they were like minds back then too yeah and they were all like pulling together and it must have been so amazing um how the heck do those guys find one another in that world man without the internet it's pretty crazy (laughs) to think about you know (laughs) i guess the persistence and the the drive and desire you know forms greatness you know Look, I mean, because like, it reminds you, like, they're... I'm reading it for sure. Sounds awesome. It's called Street Gang, The Complete History of Sesame Street. Is that one of them? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Michael Davis is the author? Okay, yeah. we'll post a link to it for people. There's yeah, a, it's super cool. <laughs> there's a couple really good Jim Henson um, books that I want to read, too, because uh, The Labyrinth is one of my favorite, like, nostalgic film. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's Jim Henson's, like, baby. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's just crazy. It's ridiculous, and just filled with nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's great. It's all their kind of merging of their stories, which is really great. And then there's, you know, a good reminder of like 
people, they would discover each other at puppeteering conferences and things like that. And they're just like these net, you know, and that feeling of community, um, which you're trying to foster here. And like, which is really, you know, like you just, as a good reminder of just like people, you know, who, who find, they find each other through their, their different niche, um, ideas. Like, you know, he would do television shots with his, uh, puppets and he'd meet up at other puppeteers because he had heard of them because they were working on Captain Kangaroo or something like that, but they maybe didn't, you know, they wouldn't end up working together for years or something, but there was that little seed planted when they crossed paths on a certain set or at a... Commonality. Yeah, a puppeteer's conference or something, or, you know, um, which, you know, would then, like, blossom just, like, years later when they were looking for a man to play Big Bird or something. Which sure. I have to see. I haven't seen that yet. Yet that There's a new Big Bird, Carol Spinney's story, a Big Bird documentary out right now. Hmm. That's good. I watched the Finding Nemo one. I think that was not Finding Nemo. What was it called? There's, like, the Elmo, oh, the Elmo sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Finding Nemo. <laughs> no, the Elmo one. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. It's really interesting, actually. Um yeah, it was interesting to see the person behind it and um, kind of ruined Elmo a little bit for me. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a controversy. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. you know. Um, we have this image uh, that's not this other person behind this thing. We just kind of, uh, at least for me as a child, I never thought that there was somebody's hand and they had these trials and tribulations through their life and all these interesting things, you know, like right. I was just, I had this iconic character that was manif- like manufactured basically for me to enjoy it. And so this whole, it's almost like, um, you're using your phone and then you have to go sh- be shown the factory that had to make the phone and go experience the lives of the people that had to make your life convenient and it's right. kind of like, shitty, you know, yeah. like knowing where the food comes from. sometimes. Oh yeah. That's a tough one. I have yet to jump into that because I know that once I do, I'm just going to become a vegan probably, or, um, a really strict vegetarian or I'll become a Chipotle, Chipotarian like Andrew. <laughs> Andrew's addicted to Chipotle. Just want to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. Do you like Chipotle? <laughs> I'm not saying I, I appreciate. I like it for what it is. Let's just say that. I, I wouldn't say I'm addicted now. Oh, Andrew's addicted. Yeah, I know a lot yeah. of like my husband's kind of addicted. Yeah, <laughs> he loves it. He loves the model of it. Why shouldn't there be those for every kind of food? You know? <laughs> <laughs> there will be. <laughs> oh, there, there. It's moving that way. That's for sure. Because the business model is so, it's so um, clean cut and there. Yeah, Andrew, how many days of Chipotle are you on now? Um, yesterday was 83 in a row. Really? <laughs> yeah. He's doing a Chipotle marathon. Are you like recording this in any way or like? Yeah, I have a website for it. It's chipotlelife.com. <laughs> Serious. It's awesome. Do you rate the other, uh, Chipotle? Like I know, uh, Stephen Bella, one of the execs I worked at, uh, work with at Wonderland, he loves Outback, but he rates them. He's like, oh yeah, the Burbank one is like better for the the ribs than the Vegas one or whatever. Do you, are the, is there I've, any different? I've never had like a, dis, like a distinctly different experience at any of them. Like they're all, they're, they're all company owned. So it's like, they're all doing the exact same thing. 
Yeah, even when we went to、um, Toronto, and the Chipotle was pretty accurate in Toronto. Yeah, it's like I, if you blindfolded <laughs> me, I couldn't tell the difference, and I've eaten it <laughs> for eighty days. <laughs> quality control. Yeah, <laughs> it is pretty amazing. But anyways, enough about Chipotle.、All、Tired of Chipotle? No, I'm just joking. It's Andrew's、uh, life passion. Yeah, that's my、uh, my life goal <laughs> is to just eat Chipotle. <laughs> He's doing an amazing job. <laughs> For the cost of it, though, he could own a sweet sports car, or he could actually own a house. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, no, the business model is pretty interesting, though, when you think about it. But the if we go back to talking about the calling, I think that's it's something that a lot of us.、Um, I, I, I've always found it kind of interesting. I'd、um, encounter、um, friends or people in my life who. I always knew that I wanted to do art, and I'm very thankful to know that instantly. I always,、mm-hmm. I, I always knew I was going to do something with it, and then I'm just now I'm just isolating these like elements of goals. But having a life that you know everybody around you are people. It seems that a lot of people have this calling, or and it's kind of admirable, right, when you see this. But a lot of people have a f- struggle finding that.、Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder. There's probably a way of engineering、um, a situation. I think through、um, defining、um, things that you love and kind of combining things that、um, can kind of create that storm for you. I guess you know that calling. I、yeah. guess conjuring that calling, if that makes sense. Do you think、yeah. so? I mean, I'm, I'm just starting to yeah think about what that. Could be. I mean, I do think also your calling may not what be what you think it is in the beginning. Like, like I'm like you. I knew from like I was four,、uh, you know, that I was wanted to be an artist or art related, you know, art field and study art. And there was no question about it. You know, like I said, you know, like most of us, you know, you're the kid who could draw, and then you're just off in your world and you're making things and. You know, before you know it, at least in my when I was a child, you know, then all of a sudden it was somebody gives you a you know、um, an eight millimeter camera and you're doing stop motion and you know and it just builds and but you're always making and you know if anybody asked me at any point in my life I was like I, I would say I was going to study art which I ended up doing、um, and then、um, I think that's what's so interesting looking like one thing I like to read too is like obituaries or you know biographies and obituaries because. You know, thinking,、um, speaking about content anyway. One thing this you know this culture likes is a well-told story with like a really clear arc of like how things happen. But you realize when you read people's obituaries or their about their lives, like it's a it's a messier thing than that. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're、know? all humans, man. We're not perfect. Yeah, and like you know, you you they went this way, you know, or Dr. Seuss was in the army before he even wrote a, a children's book in his life, or whatever, you know, like all these surprising things, and so you. I'm trying to make it so that I don't put pressure on myself to, you know, have a like make myself into that narrative, you know, because I felt feel like I need to. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I think what you're doing is you're kind of personifying it and also acknowledging that、um, a lot of the times I think we mentally romanticize things beyond、um, even what even close to the reality of things, just because we. I think for me personally, if I use my own things, like that person, let's use one of my artistic heroes, like Jonjiro Mobius, like that guy.、Uh, he's a perfect artist. Like you know, he, I start to romanticize it、mm-hmm. so that it makes sense that I'm not as good as him, and it, it's almost like a pathetic way of accepting that 
I'm not going to be that level. And it's actually a scapegoat mental thing for me. And and so when I realize that I'm doing that, I, I dismiss that. And then I focus on who I am and what I'm trying to contribute and stuff, because we all have our, 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 our heroes, but it's important, I think, to personify them, bring them down to our reality and dissect it. I think it's, 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 that's a tough journey right there too, because you get to realize that, you know, it's not what it seems. All these illusions are actually just fictitious illusions usually, you know? Yeah. And they, there's that stri- that same combination of hard work and luck that everybody has is, you know, dealing with, right? Like yes. and setbacks and, and, you know, directionless, you know, like not every, you know, and for the movie version, it always seems like they were meant to do that, you know? Um, and it's like, no, they did amazing things, but they didn't always know. Okay. Or, you know, like, so I think, you know, it helps, you know, if you feel like you don't, you're like, Oh, is this the right way? I feel like it's just like, just get going. You know, that's kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, but like be on, <laughs> yeah, be on your way. Sure. But, <laughs> it's very true though. I think, you know, putting your best foot forward, I guess, I guess we could probably equate that. Uh, I, w- I want to talk to you about your creative process, but the way I create, um, I started kind of analyzing, working with all these different people and seeing how different I create. And for me, I usually, I start very loose and abstract and then it kind of becomes itself. And I have this confidence and faith through the whole thing that it's going to reveal itself. And it usually does the last two days, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so it's kind of a really shitty process because... You know, it doesn't, and then it all of a sudden it makes sense. Um, like I'm building a video game, and I originally was influenced by all these other video games, but then I'm, of course, I'm, I'm very influenced by them, but I'm trying to move it in a different direction without intentionally changing it in a in a bad way. It's it's a weird balance, I guess. But I'm curious to see how you. Um, you've navigated all these projects. I mean, you worked on a plethora of different big projects um, with various size teams, I imagine. How do you, let's step back into like maybe the imaginary forces age and we can even talk about specific projects. Yeah, I still but, work with them too. So there's, you know, they, they're very much family. And, and you know, I, in fact, when I was, uh, one of the uh, later, uh, most recent projects, projects I did uh, was with them, I was, uh, a film that Wonderland produced called The Duff, and I did uh, the end titles with Imaginary Forces. So we're still very much in a collaborative state. So it's, awesome. there's, no, there's not a, necessarily a past tense there. <laughs> okay, great. Well, that's cool. I didn't know if you're like um, totally preoccupied, but that's cool that you're able to spread yourself out to different things and keep in touch with them. So, but with your yeah. creative process, I mean, I've read some of the stuff, um, some interviews that you've had. Um, it sounds like you approach things differently almost with every project, but you have a similar theme. And um, I want to talk definitely about your creative process, but I also want to talk about your teammates. How do you pick your teammates? Um, what makes a great teammate and stuff like that? Because that's also really important to share. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say, um, you know, um, what makes a great teammate is <laughs> somebody who's better than me. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the key to success in this uh you know, when you're directing or creative directing is just get a, a, a team that scares you and a team that, you know, inspires you. Like, I mean, that's when I know it's successful is like when something, you know, regardless of like how many eyeballs it gets or this or that, you know, the monetary things or, you know, it's like, oh, did we, did it turn out better than I imagined, right? Like who wants something only as good as I imagined? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. It's a good point. 
so, you know, and that's the great, you know, and I enjoy working with people. I mean, that's one of the great joys of a career in uh, filmmaking, basically, right? Um, whether it's one other person or 10 other people or 20 other people, I think that's, um, you know, I think it's, you know, incredible to take everybody's best talents into, you know, into a common goal. Um, and so, like, specifically what, what to look for, I mean, I, I consider myself a very idea-based designer, um, you know, um, in terms of, you know, when I just being back thinking probably so much about childhood these days for this you know, talk, sure. but, uh, reflection yeah. hour. Yes. <laughs> when I was, you know, little, what I really wanted to do be is a greeting card designer. Mm. I would go to like, you know, the state, the card stores, like a Hallmark store, which, you know, would now people I just send things on the the internet, but, you know, but then, you know, it's like your mom goes to the supermarket and like, just, you know, I just open the cards. Like, cause I loved like, like the puns and like the sort of uh, surprise, you know, kind of like the aha moment of like, when you opened a card, you know, there'd be something on the front and then there'd be a joke in, uh, you know, just when you opened it. And I feel like, you know, um, a, a lot of my design is based on like visual puns or uh, metaphors or, you know, very, uh, very strong ideas of like envisioning something as something else, you know, um, sure. or uh, trying to, um, find a metaphor for an emotion or, um, a piece of story that I'm supposed to express or, uh, so I think my process does a lot of times begin with writing, writing down ideas, you mm. know, or, uh, you know, um, you know, a lot of it is, it's almost like I sometimes feel like the process is a little bit, I, I treat it like a game. It's like a little bit of a puzzle. And that's where the, I think having great teammates to bounce ideas off is really good. It's like, no, you know, I think some of my most fun collaborative times is like with a team and just like, no, it could be this. Oh, but what if this happens? Or, you know, like to, to bring it, you know, you know, something concrete. I worked with a great team for the God of War, um, trailer for from ashes and you know um i'm not a gamer but many of, of of the team was and so they knew this character and we had to make him more you know sympathetic to the audience i know so we wanted so what we came up with is you know we bounced around a little bit like what if i first thought, i think it was theo daly that might have said something like what if he you know his world turns to ashes or something like that you know, and then it's like, well, what if his daughter, you know, and then you riff off that, like, what if his daughter turned, you know, to ashes, like she, he actually kills his daughter and his wife in this game, but that's, you can't show that in a trailer and it's no fun to do that anyway. Right. So sure. what could be the metaphor for that? Right. Oh, he literally sees his daughter turn to ashes, you know? Oh, well now we have something and then we can, you know, um, build on that, but like trying to almost put to get, like, think of a, it's almost like a puzzle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The challenge is the funnest part, the puzzle solving part of it, which is, yeah. Yeah. Solving that. And then with a team and like you're saying, dynamic team that aren't just a bunch of yes men who actually are thinking smarter people than you almost that are challenging <laughs> you and questioning everything that you're doing. Um, yeah. If you can, if your ego can allow it, you can make a better project. I think great creative directors know that. Yeah, no, it's in the name, a director, you know, like you you can't, it's almost like you can't, if, I guess you can, you know, you can direct yourself, of course, but like, you know, sure. but yeah, and it's just more fun and you get better, you know, and then you can be pushed, you know, like that doesn't like, well, you know, so much times in the process, like, oh, you, and it's so exciting, like you feel you have part of the idea there, but maybe 
not all of it there yet. And then somebody's like, no, we're missing something. What could it be? And then the whole team is just kind of like, you know, um, like the black sales main title was a little bit like that. Alan Williams was crucial. He's the art director. And it was crucial in that we, uh, he had found some photographs of gorgeous photographs of different, um, Baroque, you know, um, churches and, you know, libraries being like submerged in water. Yeah, I forget the artist. Just gorgeous, because you know, I was like, I really think, you know, having come back to work, meeting with the showrunner, uh, you know, this was in uh, New York, but I had taken a meeting in L.A. and I said, you know, he really, you know, there's a really central idea here about this European civilization. It's under threat by these pirates, right? How do we show European, you know, the idea of of, of these class structures and hierarchies of the church and government in Europe, the aristocracy being under threat by this renegade kind of new civilization, you know, that's, yeah. and, you know, and so you know, much stuff to show in 90 seconds or right. 120. <laughs> no, you don't have the budget for sweeping big vistas. No, the, the budgets for titles are usually oh. incredibly small. Yeah. Compared, yeah. especially to advertising. And, you, and yeah. it's almost, again, like we were talking at the very beginning of this conversation, like, well, that's fine then, you know, that's the grid we're in. That's the box. It's fine. Yes. We're not going to be able to do that. And he shows these gorgeous photographs. It's like, well, we can't build a cathedral and submerge it, <laughs> but we could build the altar, you know, and then it's like you riff off that. But what if the altar wasn't just the saints? What if they showed pirates? What if they, you know, and then he, there, you know, he's like, oh, you know, you know, he builds some frames and I, you know, pull some references. And then he's like, you know, whose art this looks like. And he pulls Chris Kuski's work and, you know, and says this kind of looks like that. Maybe there's something to be learned from this and maybe we can use some materials like that. And, you know, it just builds. And, you know, of course, that's just even the concept. Once you get into like actually designing the actual frames of working with the modelers like Meets Meyer, like that. Yeah, Meets Meyer's work's really powerful. Yeah, like that takes. You guys just reach out to him. Is that how that worked? Yeah, we'd admired his work for a long time, Um, and you know, this is a kind of project where you could uh, really let an artist like that make a real contribution, right? I mean, we all know there's projects that you know there you know there's an it needs expert modeling, but there's not that much. um, You know, there's a lot of creativity where like, okay, we want to build a big altarpiece or you know a big you know ship that's got all these Baroque things and we pulling references and kludging together like collages with it. But then it's like, you got an idea for like a sea monster in this corner and meets will just model one. That's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you forget. And that's the true of much of the team on that job where you sort of forget because we deal in the digital world that these, you know, these guys studied sculpture. They're real, you know, they, they, they work now their medium is in, the digital realm but you know but they know you know proportion and sculpture and, and you know proportion and form and all these things that you would need you know that you do you, you associate with traditional artists you know sure you this would probably well i mean it's all connected right i mean uh 3d cg sculpting is 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 derivative of the originals which is just yeah. trying to achieve that same thing but make yeah. it versatile so that you don't have to sink a whole building. You can do it all digitally. Uh, yeah. I feel like we're getting closer and closer, especially looking at the the quality and the fidelity of the Black Sales piece, for example. This must have been um, probably a, a really fun and interesting project for Meats himself. I bet he must have been really, um, probably really proud of this, I would imagine, huh? Yeah. Really, really I, happy I to be a part so. of that? I believe so. I mean, I believe that's, uh, that's so satisfying, too, when you can think of you and your group can 
come with a an idea that can let an artist really fly, you know, because, you know, he he's done all kinds of amazing things, but a lot of, you know, as you know, the commercial work is more limited, right? Like, oh, like you render, uh, you know, a Nike, you know, shoe perfectly or something, right? Sure. And, you know, so this is a, I think a really a chance to showcase one's true sort of like artistry, especially when you're as, you know, sometimes as outrageous as meets, it's a perfect showcase, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, pretty awesome. It's pretty, it's pretty special. And it's probably really great to be in the position to be able to hire somebody like him or um, simply to go, Hey, we're the studio and we're doing this project and er- instantly earn trust because how important do you feel trust is with this kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. I think like trust is important just for, you know, for at all levels. And, you know, even, one of my first commercial campaigns was for a company called Janet's Mutual Funds. Um, I think I ended up doing over 10 spots with them or something. And at first I was like thinking to myself, you know, it was my very, one of my very first ones. And I come, come off. I entered this field mostly tor- t- um, through entertainment and the title stuff. Um, you know, I was like, oh, gosh, a mutual fund commercial. This is going to be kind of dull and they won't let us do anything. But then I realized, like, the creatives of that um, – the agency, um, FCB at the time in San Francisco had an amazing trust with their client, Janice mutual funds, like where Janice would just be buying an idea off a, basically a cocktail napkin. It seemed like, or, you know, like we're going to, you know, it was a series of, um, how they made their investments. So they would have a little story about how they invested in a restaurant because they called every night and they saw they were booked or they, you know, all these little stories about little anecdotes about investing. Sure. And I realized, oh, wow, this was an, it ended up being an incredibly fun and creative job with all kinds of imagery that you wouldn't have thought you'd be able to use or the process being so fun because that client totally trusted the agency, which in turn trusted us. Like, so there's a whole trickle down effect that once there's not a layer of trust in any of it at that level, then it kind of falls apart. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, you have to, then you have to second guess and cover your, you know, then you feel like somebody's trying to cover their butt and like they won't fight for an idea. You know, that's incredibly important even, you know, at any, even at, you know, really established networks or, or filmmakers or whatever. At some point there might be resistance and you have to trust that, oh, somebody's going to, you know, fight for this idea. So it's the the way it's going to be. And as you you as a creative director, as a director, you have to fight for your crew in that way. And then somebody has to fight for you. And then, you know, all the way up through the, uh, the ranks. So I think trust is really something, you know, incredibly important in a creative life, not for the make, even just even the, you know, for the making and the selling of the work, but also then like the, the interconnectedness of the team, right? If, if somebody feels like they're being, you know, not listened to or, or taken advantage of, then that's, you know, that's, that's not how you get good creative work. No, of course. Neglect does, never works. Do you yeah. th- so would you say that trust is probably um, the scaffolding that holds um, a really great collaborative project together? Is that one of the key elements? Yeah, let's see. I'm trying to think like, tr- yeah, I think definitely trust is one of the, you know, like as an almost, I can't think of a relationship that that's not, one of the pillars, (laughs) whether it's your friendships or your, you know, your romantic life or family. Yeah. So it's really important for, um, our social kind of connectedness. Obviously I think trust is probably, I mean, with my wife and I trust is a very high 
it's very important, you know, for us to trust yeah. one another. Yeah. Now I'm working on it with my kids, you know, like, oh, what, you know, you want, you want to feel safe sure. and then you can take risks, right? Because once you feel safe, then you can, you can be brave enough, right? <laughs> sure. Is it, so in, in regards to, if we talk about a bit about family, because that's another thing that's kind of interesting for this industry is it's, it's kind of hard to balance all these things. Have you been able to kind of over the years of doing this, have you been able to figure out a good balance between time with your family and then time with your work to feel passionate and, and dedicated to it? And then also creating work that you feel is relevant or fulfilling to yourself. Does there, is there some kind of things that you've managed to um, practices, I guess, that are, that have helped you or you still work in progress or how is that for you? It's it's always work in progress. I've been happy that I have been able to balance it. I think it's inc- incredible to have us like my husband Arian's amazing in supporting my career. He's got a full time career himself, uh, not related to what we do, but you know. So I think having you know a partner who's completely on board with your your vision and goals is is, is great. You know, um, you know. I was so afraid when I you know I have two kids now and I. I didn't know what to expect when I was pregnant. I didn't know. I heard, you know, it biologically changes you. I did. A lot of people told me, like, don't be surprised if, or, you know, you know, there are women who, you know, go through having their baby and then they don't want to work anymore, even though they loved their career before. Or you never know, right? Because you hormonally change or you're just priority shift. Then it's, you know, there's no judgment on that. It's just sometimes how it is. But I, I was, you know, took my maternity leave and I took, um, you know, a full four months, which is long in the United States, but I realized not, not a long time everywhere else. But, um, and then I was ready to go back chomping at the bit again, actually. Um, and I, I was really fortunate because we're in a situation where we can get, we do have childcare. We have, um, we've always had a nanny and, and I actually had interviewed, um, other, you know, designers before, um, and asked them about, you know, what their challenges were about working, working once they had children, could they, shift things could they work at home and then a lot of them said you know it's about how much help you can get you know sure. it's true and that goes back to the trust thing i have very happy and fortunate i have somebody i totally trust with my kids and that allows me to be free at work you know i don't have to worry about where are you know if they're properly you know and then i try to you know in terms of you know you know sometimes the travel sometimes is hard because you know a lot of times you're shooting out of the country or you know at least not in your city and, or you're just traveling in general. Um, so we try to, I try to, you know, keep in contact with, with Skype or something like that. Sure. <laughs> but what I'm, um, but what I found to back to like, kind of like the balance of long form, short form, different rhythms and stuff. I felt like being fulfilled in my work mate. I mean, I hope it's panning out this way is making me a better mother. And then I'm also being have that that, like richness of family life hopefully is making me a better designer and I feel like when it is working that's true there's obviously times where it goes off balance like you're working a little bit too much or you're a little frazzled from you know the whole household being sick or something where it gets off balance but for the most part I think they do comp you know like you get the idea for the thing when you're doing the other thing that kind of energy (laughs) yes of course do you believe in that I highly believe in that Totally. Giving your mind rest to recon, reco- reconnect and when you come back to it, it's completely re- re- reconnected in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I don't like to fixate. Um, and, uh, and even, you know, whether you have kids or not, like balancing with travel or whatever, or timeouts, the time, 
I always was very quite religious about taking my vacations or, <laughs> good, though. you know, could, could you value your time booking your flight? Cause it, it, in the end it helps. And I remember, I think, you know, the, the, the years I had my children are actually probably two of the most productive years with really self, with really fulfilling projects. And, you know, maybe it's like, it was the, maybe it was what my mind needed to get back into it. I remember pitching the God of War stuff when, Right, you know, actually, while I was on maternity, just going into, um, you know, talking with the team like once, you know, once a week or something like that. Um, and then I shot Boardwalk Empire when I was eight and a half weeks pregnant. <laughs> I was cool. terrified I'd be going into labor at the shoot. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting, you know, it took us a lot to wow. get. Wow, I am shooting this, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Dedicated. Yeah. So, uh, but you know. Yeah, I did the uh, people, you know. Most, it's not easy, right? Yeah, crews are very nice to you, but they're especially nice to you when you're pregnant. Um. <laughs> That's <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you got, the, yeah, you got that lucky upper hand. Yeah, okay. I around the golf cart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it is a work in progress. Like partly, to be honest, I was like, oh, I wonder what this other long form world is like. Maybe it's more, maybe it's a little less reactive and maybe, you know, like when in going into development or going into like this creative partnership with McGee, I thought maybe, you know, obviously anything worth doing, there will be the long hours and there will be, you know, those crazy times of just intensity. But I was like, hmm, maybe it's more planable in this long form world. I, honestly, there was like some of that going on. Sure. Um, and then, of course, I totally undid it by being like, yeah, I'm jumping back in the spots. Have to balance. Yeah. Like I set up rules. I don't know how it is with you, but I'm like sometimes I'm like if I just make it to bed, you know, if I can just tuck them into bed, the world is all right. You know? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, as long as um, you know, I think that it's a gut feeling. So if you in your gut, if you feel like you're not doing what you should be doing as a parent, you you know, if you're a parent, you know that. Yeah. And, and then you just have to kind of fulfill that and make sure you. For me, it's just communication. My daughter's now ten. Oh I wow! How, I don't know how old your your kids are. Um, they're, uh, three, one just turned three and the other is four, but turning five in July, but 10, oh, I'm going to super young. Yeah. Her advice. Jeez. Yeah. She's already, um, just, she's got a job now. She eats Chipotle on her own. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, 10 years That's old, I mean, job, man. <laughs> I love 10 years old cause it's, um, I have cool dialogue, you know, and interesting concepts and stuff and the concept of, um, belief systems and all these things come yeah. up you know and it's it's interesting to navigate and just kind of have somebody to talk to in that way you know i, I like each stage though they're all interesting but yeah it's it, that's a having kids is an ongoing thing that never ends uh hopefully and it's always an interesting challenge too i could see why people get wrapped up in just wanting to be a parent because it's that alone is a is a life's goal you know <laughs> Totally. Like it would feel it's completely can be completely consuming. Um, what does she think of your work? Like, is she in it? Like, is she inherited that gene in like the maker gene from you? Or is it something, you know, sometimes children consciously choose something different from their parents or from sure. what you can see at 10. Is she totally into it or? Um, yeah, I think so. I think I work a lot, so I'm not sure. Like I've even asked her if she wanted to come with me and travel with me to these like speaking events. 
And she expressed no interest in that, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> and my wife said I didn't sell it right because I was like, because I'm like, hey, you can come and watch me talk. She's like, meh. I'm like, Meh. yeah. <laughs> but I, I, the reason why I wanted to do that with her is um, just to show her she loves attention as all kids do. And I wanted to show her that um, if she really sticks to something and she's really dedicated to it, no matter what it is, um, she can create an audience from that. And um, I was hoping to appeal to, to that side. But I think she definitely digs it. She's definitely a maker for sure and very imaginative. Are your kids as well? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. Um, they're just getting to that age where they're like my son who's four is making little books and wants to make like come home and draw books with me. And awesome. he saw this little diagram of how to bind a book. Oh, I, cool. I fell out of one of my letterpress thingies or whatever. And he's like, what's that? And it was like, you know, basic, a basic sewing binding, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's how you bind a book. And he's like, I want to do that. And I was like, wow, like you're a little <laughs> person. And now, you you know, like to hear him express like, you know, obscure, you know, interest in, you know, book binding. It's <laughs> very cool. You know, or he makes all kinds of swords and shields, of course, because he's going into superheroes and makes up superheroes and masks. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, but all kids are sort of, or or most kids are makers and I hope we don't quash, squash that, you know, or was it quash? Like don't, yeah. you know, it's like, I want to encourage that whether he does that for a profession or not, or, you know, but I, I just that to see him get that joy just also reinforces my like, Oh yeah. Making things is a kind of a human, you know, a, a road of human satisfaction. <laughs> sure. It's just, it's, it's yeah, definitely. I think it's good in to encourage that. Because at the same time, I often look at myself, I sit in my room, I'm surrounded by like books and toys and things that a kid would be into. And I'm like, wow, I'm 32 years old now. And I, you could probably say this is a teenager's room, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's an important aspect of it, staying young and keeping that. Um, I, I do find it hard to stay for me. Sometimes I feel like it, the jadedness creeps in because this industry is very tough and you could get, get jaded quickly. Have you had to ward that off or have you been pretty positive and, and, and clear for that? I think I've been pretty lucky. I mean, maybe I should credit the people I've worked with for, for that because I've had such fun, a good time working with, uh, with a team, you know, a team sure. or, or with various configurations of teams. Obviously when you work at a place like for instance, imaginary forces, it's a big place, but what really happens inside is like, it's a bunch of small teams yes. <laughs> that come together from three people to 10, depending and expanding attraction for the projects. Um, and specialists, as we mentioned, like modelers, like meets or, you know, illustrators that's, you know, or stop motion people or whatever, you know, they come on for certain things. And so I think because I've had such a great experience with so many great people that haven't become uh, jaded in that way. Um, That's good. So surrounding yourself with the right people, I guess, huh? Yeah, I feel like everybody, I've always felt lucky I could do this. Uh, like I said, since I was four, I I knew I wanted to study art and then go, you know, I actually have a report from when I was like in six or something where I can picture it still as like a sticker of this girl with like an artist palette on the front. And it's just like, I want to, and it's like the title is, you know, I want to be a commercial artist. Cause it's like, you're <laughs> like you have to write a rapport of what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. And it's like actually said, like, I think commercial artists. That's like, cool. I knew I didn't want to do like the museum painting kind of artist, but I wanted, you know, 
make books or things that are seen or, you know. Um, so there's your calling right there then. Yeah, yeah. I think, it, you know, it, this is definitely part of my calling. Um, and I know I think I'm doing what I'm meant to do. But I do think there is something that it's going to make, I would like it to connect with something that like, wow, okay, this is a true good use of it, you know? Gotcha. A purposeful kind of use. Because yeah. entertainment is great. Um mm-hmm. But it it is um, it dies quick. I think even even the great stuff it lasts, but it's not as significant as say creating um, an educational system for children. You know, <laughs> something not in those those realms, I guess. And not not saying either is worse or better. You know. Yeah. No. And and maybe and there's so many ways you can have a calling. Like sometimes I think, oh, even if you work with people and somehow encourage them maybe it's your maybe it's your calling to teach or maybe it's your calling you know it's not like i don't think um and it's like i think it's an important reminder of like not every calling is a big being about big and grand and world reaching you know um even if you are intent you know intent like uh it really makes a difference to a smaller group of people yeah i think that's just fine too that could be your calling as well well, big you know. things have small beginnings too, so you never know where you're going to go. You might say, "I want to make uh, socks," and then all of a sudden you're in like Indonesia, like running the country. You know, so right. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. I guess a lot of these things. I, I read a lot of books on um, just a lot of varied people and their lifestyles, and some of these people that I admire or find it be fascinating the lifestyles that they lead. Usually, it's just kind of like um, like Forrest Gump. You know, I call it Forrest Gumping your way through life, or just yeah. You kind of you have an intention. It's very pure, and you just kind of you manifest greatness around you because of your purity of just experiencing, you know. And by doing that, there's a there's a beautiful exchange, I think, in the universe. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, so. and stopping to be grateful and like what are you know like yes. being you know conscious and present and all those things. But when you say being jaded, have you found yourself being jaded? Like in what way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I get into film, when I first started this industry, I was so, uh, my eyes looked like an anime character to everything. I was like super googly eyes and <laughs> I was really excited about everything. And I still am, but I've studied, I've been studying film so harshly and so hard. Like I'm just really distilling down the things that I like and things I do not like. Mm-hmm. And so I say things that I never would have said before, and um, I think it's also it's a it's my immaturity. I think even um, in my stage of growth, as far as understanding the things that I really like, and thinking that everything needs to be that way um, is kind of an elitist way, you know. And it's a bit of a flaw, I think personally, that I'm working on. But at the same time, I'm only going to be the person that I am. Yeah. You know? So I can't fight that. Um, but being aware of it. So, but being jaded in the sense of also um, just different client jobs and, you know, making sure that I pick the ones that I know that I'm going to last through without wanting to rip and punch holes in walls and stuff like that. Oh, so. yeah. Well, I definitely have that. Like, <laughs> okay, good. I don't, I'm just like, damn it. <laughs> I'm not all, I'm not, I, I've gotten more selective with, with, hopefully with, you know, with maturity, <laughs> Sure, you, you know, cause you, you, you know, at least, you know, when you first start, you, like one is as good as the other, you don't know, you know, you, I, I see what you mean. Like now I can, you know, you can kind of see where, you know, if there's going to be a train wreck at the end, hopefully, you know, it still doesn't prevent you from getting into them for some reason. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> you know, but maybe some of them that you wouldn't have been able to see earlier in your career, you know, 
you're like, oh, well, that's obviously, you know, you know what? The, the director got thrown off this picture and this and this and this and this. Wow. Okay. Yes. Well, you <laughs> this get is to not going to be a good creative process or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You get to, you get to find out more and see it. And I think, I guess not jaded. I don't know what the word is, but you're just more aware, I guess, yeah, of the realities. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not naive into the way of things work, and like like I said, and once you have a great experience too, like oh, that was great because I could see the agency was trusted by the client or yes. this key person is really listening to me, like or to us, you know, like 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 really wants what we have to offer, you know, and yes. not you know, so you listen for those cues, and it's more being I think selective of like knowing what works. You know? Yes, exactly. That's what I'm getting at, kind of. I mean, knowing your taste is is, is half the battle, and articulate them, articulating them is the the other part, I think, and really identifying those things and making them, um, trying to recreate them basically with different scenarios. That's the serendipity, I think, because it's important to be serendipitous. Um, it's very important. That's the childlike part that yeah. brought us to where we are now. Um, but yeah, and try not to stay too jaded, but you know, like you said, being aware that, Oh, like this client is, I've heard that they're horrible to work with, you know, but not, but the, the unjaded part of you, um, maybe when you first started say, I don't care, this is the first job I've ever had. I'm going to do it the best that I can. And right. so that energy, um, right. the approach the blind, with that energy. Yeah. The blind passion, maybe yeah. the passion isn't as blind. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. But still passionate, right? <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. And also figuring out ways of manifesting, um, good outcomes too. But that just comes with mileage though. I think it's just the more time you put into it, um, the more you understand it's a, it's a double-edged sword though, you know? So at least that's my, my standpoint on it. But you've you've had a career that's spanned quite a bit of time, and you've been able to like you've been able to keep relevant, keep yourself focused on different tasks and different things. I mean, done so many different um, projects. I, I'm kind of curious too is about kind of how was it founding uh, Imaginary Forces, and what's the process? What was the process like starting a studio? Because it's really interesting as well. Well, I have uh, started as um, a branch of our Greenberg Associates at the time. Um, so with Kyle, right? Yeah, yeah. So our Greenberg Associates was started in, in New York, at RGA it was called. And they were actually, um, you know, like I, they did a lot of iconic sequence uh, title sequences of the 70s. Actually, that's why I was referred there by one of my college professors. But they did um, Superman, remember the, the, you know, optical slit, slit uh what is it, the optical slit scan, you know, the Superman, the original Superman titles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they did those in the world according to Garb and Alien, um, you know. So classic. good, yeah. yeah. I remember yes. seeing that, the RGA title in the Alien thing. So yeah. I love that title sequence. And, you know, it was a real niche then, right? And they had, they had optical pl- uh, printers and, you know, so they had a real corner on, like, some special effects that are graphically driven um, and... You know, they had an office in New York, which is where I interviewed first. But then they said, you know, actually, we're not um, we're not hiring there. And uh, so I went and actually worked on being an animator for Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego at WWE. Oh, man. <laughs> that was my jam. Love yeah. that show. Rock and Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, I was like, still had that, you know, edu- you know, like I said, I did the, the paper on Sesame Street was in college. I was like, great, this is it, you know. Very cool. You know, public TV, what could be better? But then, because um, I was told to go see, you know, Kyle Cooper, who was then um, starting the 
West Coast, RGALA, uh, branch of our Greenberg. And so I did my year at um, WGBH and had a great time animating, but, you know, it, it's not a sort of thing, you know, that you do for, you, you, you get the gig for a season and then they, you know, you have to go do something else. So I called Kyle again and it just so happened, you know, he really liked my um, animated alphabet book. It was my senior project and this was in the world where we were going to do everything on CD-ROM. I don't know if you remember that world, but like, <laughs> they were going to replace old school. Books. They were going to replace, you know, movies. I mean, they kind of have, but now they're called apps, but that's kind of like... Yeah, same idea. Same idea, right? Like, that was the big thing. And, I, you know, me being very much in the, you know, shadow of my hero, I was like, oh, I'm going to make an animated alphabet book when I was senior in college. And it was really an excuse to just make an animated anything. Um, but it was a basic, very, very simple, um, you know, interactive program using uh, Macro Mind Director, as it was called then. It was scripting. And it was so simple that, you know, like a 12-year-old could do it now or something. But it won a technology award when I graduated because it, 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 you know, um, it was all these little vignettes like, Oh, you know, you'd click on an olive that then became the mouth of an opera singer. And then she, her hmm. dress became an octopus and then the octopus. So it's like that kind of like wonderful sort of like transition thing we like to do yeah. uh, in our, in our animations. Right. Um, and you know, so my, one of my, it was very cartoony cause I just did it with my sketches and I actually would scan in drawings and uh, scan in photos from magazines and stuff. So they were, it was really super collage which is also probably like the first kind of instance of my creative work of like, you know, as, as what we do of like blending different elements in mixed media, right? Like using Photoshop really as a big collage maker, right? Sure. And my professor at the time, Michael Rock, um, was like, wow, your work is like really cinematic. And I was like, kind of like, because like cinematic to me was like Lawrence of Ray right? Sure. That's, that's, a, that's a great example. You know, uh, but he's like, no, cinematic means like things that only, you know, the, the language of film, and this is something only film can really do, right? Or like a, sequ a time sequence, right? Like the way we transition, you know, from, you know, uh, going into a cuckoo clock and then have it opening into clouds and then to the circus and then clowns to, you know, a cannon and a clown or, you know, whatever, right? So that was C. So, but, you know, all these ways of moving from one space to another, that's, that's a cinematic experience, you know, and you know who you might enjoy working with is Kyle Cooper and he works at RGA and they do film titles. And I remember him like writing down, you know, Kyle Cooper film titles, RGA on a piece of paper for me to call them. <laughs> oh man. If you only yeah. knew. Yeah, there you go. It's kind of like, like who, you know, maybe now, maybe now kids do cause it's all online and everything, but who grows up being like, I'm going to be in film titles. Sure. Maybe Kyle Cooper. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so after my stint, back to convoluting the story, I'm not good at linear storytelling. No, this um, is cool. This is good, good little <laughs> tidbits of information. So I, you know, after my stint at WGBH, Kyle, I call Kyle and he says, yeah, I, you know, he really responded actually to, to the alphabet book in particular because it was, you know, ideas of how to get from one place to the other, you know, and he said, well, you know, I was kind of, I'm, I'm an LA girl. I grew up in, in Agora Hill, so I'm from southern california and so i was kind of dead set on i really wanted to stay on the east coast because you know that's your adventure right like i want to be in new york city and all this but he said there, there's an opening here uh in um 
Los Angeles. This is my, you know, I moved here to be closer to the film industry and, or, you know, and this is the new office and that's where the opening is. So I moved out to Los Angeles and started, uh, there was one other designer there and it was Garson Yu. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So you and co then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was me and Kyle and Garson who all worked in one room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. we were in the design department at our, you know, at RGA. Oh, you have photos of this. This sounds amazing. Uh, gosh, I must, I must somewhere. I'm so horribly bad. Uh, you know, they're, they're somewhere. I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> As it sounds, I can get the visual already. I'm seeing like a nice, cool black and white of you guys working <laughs> in, one, in one room. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, continue. Because like RGA at the time was um, doing visual effects. They did visual effects. Almost all the building was machines doing visual effects for this film called The Shadow. Hmm. Oh, yeah, The Shadow. Yeah. And uh, Chip Houghton, who was still, you know, the... Um, you know, one of the managing partners of IF was the EP of that, I think. And Peter Frankfurt was there too, who would later become one of the, uh, you know, managing directors. And, you know, so we were, you know, all working as the West Coast division of RGA, which wasn't into interactive advertising yet. That would become with the split because Bob Greenberg went into that very, you know, very smartly. And, but, you know, our love was like the film and the broadcast stuff. And so actually when he did that, you know, um, Chip and Peter, and uh, by then we, we had a bigger design part. We started adding people. Maybe we were a design department, maybe like, oh gosh, maybe there were like five or seven of us by the time we became imaginary forces. We divorced ourselves from from um, from our Greenberg Associates, which went on to be, as you know, probably a leading interactive agency. Yeah. And, you know, kept on doing the film and TV stuff, but really, you know, Kyle had done seven, and then we you know, then I love Dr. Moreau. It was like this kind of golden age of like, uh, in the nineties of like title sequences that helped then fuel our commercial work. And, you know, we just had a lot of momentum. It was a great time of, a, you know, kind of like the blossoming of the kind of combination of filmmaking with graphic design and, and, you know, motion pieces, like it kind of exploded around there probably, you know, just like a confluence of things like the technology and MTV and then, you know, something like Seven coming out and then, you know. A director like Fincher who wants that yeah. and, and like a guy Fincher. like Kyle to put that together. And totally. It was so, a perfect storm. Seven to me is always that title sequence that is always the perfect storm. It's, oh, it's amazing. It's yeah. very rare that you get that perfect storm between a really great film, a really great title, a great concept executed, and something on the edge of, of, of tomorrow, basically. Mm -hmm. That's what that was. And so special for that film, because it's so funny, you know, as we became uh, more, you know, took on more and more work, there'd be, you know, comical times where there'd be like, we'd want seven. And you're like, you are a Japanese food company. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> idea, yeah. You know, uh, but, you know it's, it's, but it was a phenomenon, but it's rightly, and it couldn't have been for any other picture, which is always what I like to use as a measure of a good title sequence. It's like, oh, well, that can't run at the front of any other picture you know like yeah not like generically horror or generically you know what i mean like no it's very well executed it's very unique it's very genuine too for that story it's a specific it's very specific yep yeah it's crazy this is really interesting because there's so much i mean kyle's you know my ex-boss and i worked mm -hmm. with him and he's a very intense guy and he's very passionate and Mm -hmm. And it's cool. I mean, hearing you work with him when he started all this stuff out, it's really interesting as well. That was incredible to have him as a mentor. I mean, I was really lucky. Um, I'm still really, you know, lucky. I still find inspiration in what he does and, and, and in talking to him. But, 
yeah, you know, just to be at that place to, you know, just kind of at the tail end of, of the change in technology too. Like he taught me how to do opticals or like, I remember being at the Steenbeck and him showing me how to mark a spade, a uh, uh, fade with a grease pencil, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like diagonal line over physical film. And we had a guy who spliced film together in one of the rooms. Like it was just the tail end of that, you know? Yes. And I was like, wow, you know, um, out with a bang with that thing. Yeah. Like I still, my earliest film jobs, you know, I would check film, you know, I'd pick wedges, you know what that is? <laughs> um, I've heard of that tech, that term, but I don't know exactly the, which one it is because there's a couple of terms that I've heard from cutting, like real cutting. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to like, you know, the lab would get your and do test frames. You'd pick test frames that they would do. Different emulsions and stuff to yeah. see. Okay. Of the developing. It's kind of, you know, it's like when you do a test strip for fo- photography. Yeah, the DOP does a test to see what he shot, I guess. Is that what it is? Um, no, it's like, you know, you ever do dark room or? Yes, I've done that. Yeah. So, you know how you do those, those little slivers of tests. So you see what exposure you do your negative at. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Like they test the timing in the film baths. Ah, okay. Interesting. So like, like a wedge. I forget how many it was like 12 steps or something. And then you'll see it go from dark, to, like, and you pick like just the amount of red, green, blue, you know, like crazy. Then you pick your contrast and then they combine all those things. And then it'd be totally different. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, they changed the bath water, <laughs> the chemical bath at like a certain day. And then, of course, it would be, you know, because it was like film. But it really, you know, now I'm feeling, now for the first time I'm feeling dated. But <laughs> No, I think it's actually really cool, though, because I'm constantly, um, I, I, I do too uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, but I find that this is very important because like there's, like, for example, we talked about the CG sculpture artists, right? And how not, I don't know if mimic's the right word, but it's the only word I have in my mind. They're mimicking uh, traditional sculpture. And digital cameras now are trying to mimic film cameras. Um, or they're trying to push it beyond, which I don't really like it too much. I, I'm much more a fan of, of the the warmth of film, obviously, I think most people are, they just don't, aren't aware of it. But I think it's really awesome to um, be able to understand that process and then probably being so aware of it because of your hands-on experience, then applying it to, like when I look at the Rubicon title, for example, there's um, a really interesting film grain added to it. And only somebody like me probably noticed that. I don't know if that's... God bless you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm sure that had to be have been a choice, obviously. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of noise in there. And I like that noise because it softens um, the digital aspect of some of the... Just the digital aspect of things, you know. It soft, yeah. softens yeah. the font, makes the font more warm. Uh, just all these little details and stuff yeah. like that, you know, so... And then conceptually for that one, too, it was driven toward, like, it was this government office. These are the kind of people who would, like, have overhead projectors, you know. Sure. <laughs> and, and, like, keep slide boxes and, like, you know. Um, so referencing that kind of, like, old school technology was important for this. So, like, it felt like if you saw their set, it just felt like a manila envelope. Like, awesome. it felt, you know, it just felt like, like. Kind of when you go to the doctor's office and you see all those files there and you're like, is there not, it's not digitized yet? Like, you know, like, you know, that kind of feeling of, you know, wow. Yeah. Tactile. Um, So it was a way of getting that the show in there, but I'm, I'm with you just having, you know, shot, you know, it's so funny. It's like only a few years ago I stopped shooting commercials on film because it was the longest time. It still was the belief that the film was a better medium. Um, And now, you know, 
I'm trying to remember the last time I saw, shot something on like 35 millimeter film, but but having like gone through all that, like shooting on film, shooting on Super 8, shooting, you know, like in the early days, like even to get a board dead, you would shoot slides and go get the developed because they were faster than dating prints developed. And then you would scan the slides and, you know, so just having a t- the tactile awareness, I think is really good. Yes, of course. You're well, you're aware of basically you're aware of where it comes from. And I think that's really important where I feel that um, if you're entering this and you don't, you've never shot with film and you don't understand that process. Um, I've, I know a little bit, I've never shot like um, um, shooting film. I've shot still images and completely done my own cool, completely yeah, yeah. Uh, the whole process of um, developing film. So I understand a little bit of nuances, but what I'm saying is it gives you a wealth of knowledge. I think that's really important that some people might lack, but at the same time, I guess it depends on your destination and if it matters more than the other. But for me, when I see like, like I brought up the Rubicon with the noise grain and all that kind of stuff and softening things and those little, like that's the difference for me. Um, a lot of times, a lot of projects, um, they're pretty neck and neck, but that extra 10%, I always thought that about like, um, studios, like let's just use Prologue, for example, it felt like that. It was like this extra little something Uh and it just tipped it over the edge to brilliance, you know? Yeah. I find that a lot of times with the type, um, like paying attention to that because that's just a nuanced thing. And then, um, and just, but really quickly too, like going back to like the technology too, like there are like it's important not to get too nussed out you know oh, but of course. I think, yeah yeah i think i think your point is well taken that it's about the detail yes of, you know like a, there's a richness what however you get it there's like a there's a richness there that, that you know that certain analog things can give you but also now i realize there are advantages of certain digital things like years ago i would have loved to be able to shoot with a phantom <laughs> sure of course phantom's amazing <laughs> the phantom's amazing and yeah. that gives you the visual richness or actually you know i use slow-mo on the iphone all the time now um <laughs> which is amazing like you couldn't get that like that is not technically possible but if it's if it's if it's tasked for it again going back to like black sales um knowing the way that the properties of these stone sculptures the way they age and studying the texture of that and applying it to the cg makes it real it's basically like you're acknowledging the past but using the future yeah you know, and using yep. it to kind of create this harmonious batch because you can like you mentioned i think in the in the in, uh, interview that you wanted you guys wanted to make these miniatures and shoot them but the time the budget i imagine was yeah. probably like it's impossible it's why we go to cg and yeah. cg definitely has a place i'm not ever trying to say it's not it's i think it's the way you use it because it's a tool yeah. just like film you can make a really shitty film using film yeah. and it could be the horror like you can overexpose it or underexpose yeah. it and look like shit and frame it bad you know yeah. so <laughs> yeah that's not the medium yeah for it's sure. It's definitely no, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, it's so funny for black sales. A lot of people, you know, which is a great, you know, we're like Michelle and I would be like sigh of relief. Like they'd be like, Oh, did you shoot that? Which is like great. Cause you know, it could only work if you believe they were real, but we did debate, like, do we make them, you know, there was some excitement and then, you know, at some point I'd love to do it. Like of printing, like, you know, printing them out with a 3d printer or something. And then, yeah, it's true. Huh? Which would be kind of backward because, like, if it existed that nicely in the computer, you still needed to build it that nicely as your model to get it 3D printed, and then you have a whole other. I don't know if it would even benefit the project, but there is that excitement of like, wow, we can 
we can 3D print now. I wonder what that is. Or Yeah, 3D printing is amazing. I have a crazy 3D print in my house. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Ooh, that shit is nuts, man. It's crazy. Yeah, to build out this would have been really interesting to employ. Yeah. But the textures, you would have probably had a hard time at yeah, capturing yeah. that aged texture that you can get by manipulating things in CG, which is amazing. But I think like I feel with the Black Sails, for example, as a case study, you've managed to find, you and the team managed to find this perfect middle ground between it all to make it work. You know, oh, the storytelling, okay. <laughs> um, using CG, um, kind of complementing the past, but bringing it into the present and utilizing that all into a project. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Definitely dig it. We talked, you kind of brought up this really interesting thing too. We pr probably wrap up in the next 10 minutes, right. but I want to definitely talk about um, the Emmy Awards thing that you brought up. It was kind of oh, interesting. And before, and I d definitely, definitely want to talk about this, um, which I find to be kind of interesting is um, what do you think of the popularity of title sequences? And do you feel that sometimes they outbalance the film, like maybe outlive the film? And do you think that um, the popularity of title sequences have kind of, like you mentioned before, this really was a kind of a known thing. Uh, but now with the Emmys, it's kind of become this. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. You know, there's people that are making these great things. Is it benefiting things or not? You know, some title sequences do. I personally think sometimes they don't, you know, they might get like in the way. Benefit the show or benefit yeah. Yeah. I well, guess it's um, situational probably. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think when there's a great synergy between the show and the title sequence, I mean, that's just absolutely the best. And the same with movies, right? Like, yes. if it really, like, we were just talking about Seven and how it so perfectly fit that film, you know. And and like I say, like a litmus test for me is like, oh, does it does it, you know? Fine, you know, you did a sequence that sub suggested the mob. Could it go in front of every mob film, or really should it could it only go in front of this one? You know, that was kind of like a question I would always, we'd always ask, you know, in Boardwalk Empire, you know, like the themes are familiar, right? Um, kind of a mob story, uh, you know, a, a certain period that is quite, you know, popular in entertainment. So what do you do? What do you do so it can only run in front of that show, right? Or in sure. front of that film? So there's that creative question. I think when you hit that, um, like many of the best ones, like then it becomes the synergy with the show that's really good. Of course, it helps incredibly if the show is good. Yeah, True <laughs> so, Detective is a good example yeah, of something yeah. current. It was a beautiful sequence, and which would probably, I would guess, get noticed regardless. But the fact that the show is amazing oh, and yeah. the is amazing is, you know, great. And I think it's really exciting. I mean, as somebody who does this, like every time you see a, a good one, you're like, yeah, because it seems to me like it's more ammo for you to, because there's so many shows who don't have a proper title sequence in the way. <laughs> yeah. It's more ammo to be like, see, look at that, you know, like it's possible. This, yes. this is what you do. This makes it better, you know. Yeah. And you're just proud of the whole sort of industry, you know. Um, you know, it's a part of you that like that's a great. That's the best feeling. Like when you're like, I kind of wish I did that, or you know, I, that's good. That's so good. And I'm kind of like also like this is going to be great because you know the more filmmakers and showrunners and creative types in general like you know appreciate the kind of non-literalness or the, the metaphorical qualities, the emotional qualities of these sequences. And, you know, now we'll talk about this Emmy, um, the sequences within films or, you know, within, within the show that could be less, you know, traditional than the more opportunities for varied storytelling there is for all of us, you know? So sure. 
um, I think it's great. I mean, there's a great, you know, it's been oft repeated, like a great golden age of television that's happening right now. And so why shouldn't there be a golden age of titles here? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point there. It is a golden age. And it's like, uh, I had, uh, Adi Shankar, who's a producer, he's a really phenomenal producer. He's produced dread and stuff. And we talked about, is it television? It's probably not even television anymore. When we talk about streaming and Netflix and the way that people are consuming this, uh, binge watching and stuff like that. It's really interesting, you know? Yeah, um, we couldn't a, have imagined it. Just like somebody no. couldn't imagine, you know. Sesame Street. Yeah, exactly, right? Unless like, you make it, you manifest yeah. it, right? Yeah. It's um, a power. But you were talking about the Emmy Awards, because yeah, I think so, that's kind of an interesting thing we wanted to bring up in this conversation. Yeah, definitely. So I'm on the committee for uh, the peer group, basically, um, that Eric Anderson runs on um, on the committee for motion design um, and title sequences, I now I'm like, what's the official name <laughs> for the Emmys? But basically, um, it's a new, um, so it, it deals with the, t- the title design Emmy for, uh, uh, for the Emmys. And then we've just introducing this new uh, juried award. Uh, so it's not, it won't be on the creative arts program the way the title design one is, but it's a juried award awarding special sequences um, within the body of a show, hmm. you know, um, and you know, and we're, you know, it's like inaugural year, so we're still, you know, figuring it out. But, but basically, you know, like, you know, I'm like those great, you know, we see a lot of great sequences or, ti- you know, titles like within award shows, for instance, or um, documentaries now are having different ways of visualizing things. Yeah, uh, that productions on those now, too. Yeah. Um, so they, it would have to be in the body of the content of the work. It's not a BDA in you know, the broadcast design award sort of thing. It's not about like, you know, bumpers and messaging on the network per se, but actual within the show's content, you know, um, design elements. Hmm. So, you know, we expect, you know, we want to encourage the community to basically, um, and this would go for things that are on Netflix or Amazon or anything that is now, you know, the, the bait still rages like what is television, but all those things are now qualifying as television, and I'm sure there'll be, you know, amendments and, and whatnot because it's all changing so fast. But we do want to acknowledge and encourage this kind of filmmaking or, or television making, and you know, and the way to kind of get recognition for it will also spawn more of that kind of production. We hope, and you know, kind of introduce uh, new uh, new blood into the academy in a way, you know, so much of like our visual language is what we do, this combination of live action design, animation, um, music, you know, and, and that's culturally where it goes. And a lot of us consume, whether it's traditional television or not, or on our more varied screens, this kind of information. And so we want to, you know, point out, get those examples in, in our programming and call them out. Hmm. Interesting. So like, uh, it's like building up the culture, and trying to stimulate it, I guess. Yeah, and not being at the tail. And it's like, we can see that this is where it's going, right? Or, or we are in it, too. And we know that there's more, you know, um, you know, over the, you know, the, the years, you can see how, you know, audience are, I think audiences are more sophisticated now. They don't, you know, Roger Rabbit was like a big deal back when we were kids. Right? Like, sure. wow, I made a character in a movie with, live, you know, that's a, one, a technological wonder, and two, like a leap of, imagination of sorts shorts but now that's not you can almost do that at a live event or you know like <laughs> sure yeah you know. vr and integration is very unique now yeah like the way we consume stories it's just more um you know it's just more varied and people don't blink an eye to, to have um you know these different 
kinds of media. And like one of the great discoveries, you know, because I'm not a gamer, but that I did because I did um, work in the gaming arena was it's the potential of games, you know, and how they go, how, how that, that kind of story is consumed so much differently than television. Yeah. It's interactive. Yeah. Interactive. But yet, you know how you were touching on that earlier about how all new mediums kind of like mimic old medium at first, right? Like the first films mimicked theater, right? Yeah. Or it's first photography projects, you know, baby step from its predecessor. Yeah. They mimic painting. Right. And then there comes this critical moment where it becomes, it has a life of its own. Yes. Like where film discovers montage basically. And boom, you know, it's no theater. Um, and photography becomes its own art form. So it's like gaming has this like thing where it is a new thing, but it still has many cues, obviously, as you know, because there's so much overlap of, of between the blockbuster movie aesthetic and gaming that, you know, and, and even more so like they borrow the same, you know, they'll have actors read the lines or there's scores that are from very quite, you know, accomplished musicians in the film space. But it's not, you know, so and that will always continue. But then there will be a time where there's like, boom, there's going to, I feel like some sort of like thing where it comes into a life of its own beyond, like where it's not just a niche thing, but like it's more of a, you know, across the board entertainment, you know? Sure. Perhaps you know? that's your calling. Maybe. Maybe I you find that, you know? And, yeah. And but, it's almost like being aware and enlightened, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, the new... It is a new medium, so um, we're relatively new, you know. I know. Yeah, well, VR and um, AI and all that stuff, and the the way the internet works now, and all that kind of stuff. And um, you have um, what's that one guy? He's a really prolific guy. Um, yeah, uh, he's like a new. He's this dude that's been doing all these crazy things. Like Chris Melt, or uh, he's like a. I think he's started that Tesla company. Oh, Elon Musk. Yeah, Musk. Exactly. I don't know. I have a brain dump right now, but um, somebody like him who's kind of pushing the edges yeah. of certain things and pushing the reality of, of world consciousness in a, in a different light, obviously. But um, what what is that in comparison? Because you know, if you break down what we talked about, um, we sum up a lot of these things, these subjects and concepts. Is um, it's the journey and, and it's the problem solving and it's that interest, that intrigue of the problem solving and when you put that into the light of consumer um, interaction, um, talking about video games, but higher level problem solving and higher level um, interaction, that's really where things are going. Where people aren't just sitting in a in a room and being told a story. That necessarily right. they're they're choosing their own. And um, the the sketchy thing with that is alternate realities and um, you know is that healthy and you know <laughs> there's it's a tool you know it's. Um, you know, no, there's a lot of two ways, you know. Debate about that. I read. I'm gonna now butcher because I read a great book on video games. Oh yeah, which one was it? There's a there's a lot of really cool documentaries on Netflix too about video games. Yeah, and there's the author said something like the way he experienced uh, the end of I think one of the Grand Theft Autos pointed the way to like how he could see so much potential in games. Hmm. Like, he found out, maybe, spoiler alert to anybody who's playing, I guess, one of the Grand Theft Autos, but he found out, like, this, he was chasing this killer or something who killed his best friend or whatever, and at the end, he says, like, why did you do it or something like that, and, the, you know, the, and it turns out the guy did it for 50 bucks or something, hmm. and the deflation he said he felt after, like, going through this whole game and, no, like, feeling that, at, like, you killed my best friend for, like, you know, 
you know, like a petty cash thing. Sure. Like was an emotion he had that he, he had an empathy and he, he was, he was that character. It was like so different than actually watching a character. Sure. Disappointed on screen that that happens, but he felt it to himself as if he lived it. Sure. You know, or he he does enough hours, you know, enough time investment into it. Yeah. Yeah. Or you start living as that person or he, you know, like games really take on this life. He said, when they start making you question your own values too, like, do you save your best friend? Like there's a bunker, you know, it's about to, you know, that classics or what if like you get to live those in real time and see what your reflexes say because you could sit around and say like could i do that would i be able to push the guy out uh, on the way of the train if i do this or that it would go off the tracks or whatever right but in the game you don't get the chance to like rationalize it you see who you are in that moment yeah that's sort of interesting right i mean very much so it's psychologically um very interesting yeah but anyway, back you know to the Emmy. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah, let's definitely let's let's wrap up with the Emmys, and I have one last question. But let's definitely definitely tell me a little bit more about the Emmys so people are aware of it, and we'll have yes. links to it as well. So, yeah. So if you have been you know worked on a show that would be qualif- that would qualify for the Emmys, whether it's you know for Hulu or Netflix or Amazon or any of the cable or traditional networks, um, you know where then you did a you know in in show sequence so main titles are not don't qualify and you know full-on card like you know if you did like the simpsons in their stitchels or something or if you did a full character animated things um those would probably qualify you more in the animation category you know as opposed to this motion design category um but if you you know if you're visualizing um you know you know if I, I would think, you know, like titles or, or, or interstitials for, you know, an award show, for instance, or for a documentary, like a sequence to explain something, um, you know, st- stats, statistics, dream sequences, any, you know, um, you know, uh, machine v- point of views that might be interesting, like um, put a montage together. I think that's the proper way to submit. Um, we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll have a link, we'll have a link to the rules and regulations or whatever, but, you know, and, and show it off, you know, because we want to encourage this kind of work. And, and so this award is being made. We know, we all know and have, have done projects like this and, you know, and the way to get it visible to more showrunners and, and the general public and call it out is, is part, you know, part of this, this Emmys initiative is to try to, you know, more exposure. Point, yeah. Point for, people to the future here you know <laughs> awesome that's cool we'll have links to it and we'll just probably have like a link to the main site you guys have like a website for it now or is it about to set no, up or this, yeah uh, there's a standalone but there's definitely um a, a page in the emmy submission booklet which is not you know not a terribly fun read but uh <laughs> <laughs> oh joy yeah, <laughs> we will tell you. We'll tell you the page number, so there's at least some of the grief there. Awesome. If you could, yeah, if you could just kind of paraphrase whatever it needs to be, and we'll put that in the link section. So anybody that's listening, which I'm sure a lot of people that are would want, would want to submit, so they can have access to that and get to get their work to you. Because I know Eric um, mentioned wanting to bring this up and kind of help help use the podcast to promote it and get the awareness out. So this is good that we're talking about it. So. Yeah, this is the audience. It's all it's all you guys. It's our community. So yeah, and I think it's it's, it's, got. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a cool, valiant thing. I think which is cool, causing creating awareness and it also heighten the professionalism of things and also provide for people to have a better life. And uh, you know, um, yeah, 
interesting way of, of, of putting things to value and stuff. Cause I, I always find these shows to be really interesting personally. Um, but these award ceremonies are really interesting psychologically. They exist for a reason, but I always, it's always really interesting for me to go, okay, that's interesting. Cause that's very much that person's opinion. Yes. Um, and uh, in comparison <laughs> to mine, you know, and, and it, then it, it, as long as it's, it, as long as I think the, the intention is there for in purity, I think it's always good, you know? So the intentions for offering uh, the, the public and, and a look into our lives and what we do and the things that we like and give appreciation to it. I think, I think that's, that's, that's a really cool goal, you know? Yeah. I think for a lot, you know, we're doing this a lot for the awareness of it, as you say, you know, and, and to, you know, um, make it, you know, not more what we can be part of the television television's business and the you know, either through the cameo or its general business and not a fringe element, I think there'll be more opportunities for us. So, um, you know, that's all good, you know, and not, it's not, it's not an oddball thing, you know? <laughs> awesome. No, that makes sense. That's good. Well, we can end this, this, um, with one last question. I think this would be a kind of a cool one to end with, but, um, what's some of the advice that you'd give to somebody looking to prosper in this industry? Looking to prosper, I think I, I went. I, I have a standard line about that. I'll work with better with people, uh, better than you. <laughs> sure, that's a great. That's a great piece um, of advice. And I'm going to then also, um, you know, uh, paraphrase one of my professors when I left school. Um, gave me really good advice, and I'm going to paraphrase it here. Of just like being just aware that one opportunity um, does lead to the next. Um, just like in your work, you know, like you know, I did the, you know, a lot of the fun, even uh, creatively in a project is like, how do you get from one place to another, oh, you know, it's a face, but then you turn it on its side and it's a mountain. And then, it, you know, you know, and then the bird flies over the mountain, you know, like these transitions, that's what makes work cinematic. Sure. But thinking about your trajectory, you know, one thing does, I mean, this sounds really obvious, but one thing does lead to another. And also, so that means work you do early does peg you for later. Um, you know, not, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have to be a cage, but it does set the tone. And, and what he meant was that by that was like, if you want to do humorous work, go, you know, make some, some humor, humorous pieces or funny pieces to show, you know, in the back of you know, like in your portfolio on your, on your reel or whatever samples to help get you that funny work, you know, or, or if you want to do really beautifully what photography show that, you know, because then you'll get projects, you know, um, that, uh, you know, that, that heighten what you want to do, you know, like you'll get a, a piece of work, a piece of early work that shows off that, that skill and that will help you get to the next thing. And that seems really obvious, but I remember when I was showing my reel around or, or, you know, really early days and, um, you know, like I had, you know, fu funny, witty, you know, I would like to think witty, funny, charming animations and people would say, and I'd say, I wanted that kind of work. And they'd say, you know, I, I actually interviewed with somebody at the time who was at Spy Magazine, which was a humor magazine at the time. He's like, yeah, you don't, he's like, you, you don't realize this, but so many people come in here and they say they want to do funny work. And then there's nothing on their, in their work that is remotely funny or has the tone that they want. And then how am I supposed to know? Yeah. How can you sell? You don't. You're yeah. Selling, and, yeah. And so I meet so many students who are like, well, what do I need on my reel? Do I need, an, you know do I need some 3d work? I'm like, do you want to do 3d work? Exactly. <laughs> you know, a, yes. if you do, yeah, you better get some on there or something that shows maybe your sculpture work. I wouldn't again, rule out the analog. I'm always interested when I look at portfolios and reels, like if somebody's, you know, you know, doing graphic design, but they're also a painter for God's sakes, do show me your paintings, you know? And, yes. you know, but, uh, you know, 
it's not, it's a subjective thing. You want, it's like dating. It's like you put the things in your profile that you really mean. Like, don't say you like jazz if you never want to go to a jazz concert, because if you do that, you know, if you, you're, you're going to like be with the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Following your own bliss is very important. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, way back in the day, I animated, but I didn't, after a while, I didn't do any of that. And I, it's fine because people are so, so much better than me. And when I work with people who are better, who are better animators have I, as I have for the, for the past decades, uh, it elevates my own work. You know, it, it's so much better. So, so I would say just make sure that, you know, when you're, you, you know, if you're, you know, starting out, you're looking for things that your, your, your work that you're showing re- truly reflects what you want to do. And if you don't have it, then go ahead, go and make it, you know, and, you know, whether it's, you know, if you want dark and moody work, show a piece, you know, of that, or if you want to, you know, whatever you are trying to, to sell yourself as just, just have some examples of that. And then also don't feel like you have to, you know, show everything. I mean, I think there's power in editing and that's a lesson for our work too, right? Like sure. edit, edit, edit. <laughs> yes. Um, it's so funny. I have Show a, your babies. It's what's, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's like the unsung art, you know, it's the unsung art of editing. Cause like I have a friend, her name is uh, Sloan Clevin and her, she's does, um, she's done amazing documentary work. Um, well, she edits commercials and documentaries, but she's, you know, some people, you know, outside, usually hopefully outside the business she said you know somebody once asked her oh what does an editor do you know do they just cut out all the bad parts (laughs) 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 awesome editing you know goes for you know for your work you know your reel for within your work like if you want to make a cut down of a piece because you knew in your heart that it was too long anyway you know make that better version for yourself Yep. And, and, you know, make it, and then, you know, and what I'm dealing with is like, yeah, and then I'm dealing with the edit your life part, you know, like cutting out, you know, rearranging this and that, and hopefully it's a new, you know, combinations of all the things that I, parts that I loved into one big working machine. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right? Right. Yeah, I think that's, those are all really great pieces of, of advice. And I think that, you know, there you go, guys. I mean, straight from Karen. Some great, some great advice as far as like how to navigate these things, and hopefully they'll help you in making des- the decisions to get to where you're after. You know, so uh, this is awesome. I'm really stoked that we got a chance to do this. It's been kind me of too. A, a, me too. setting this up for and a bit. I say time. on the on, on I guess the air. I love. I just love. I told you this in an email. But I love those FITC uh, oh. titles. They're amazing. Thank like, you so much. I can see your process is different than mine, though. In, in in that, I'm like, I don't think like I, you know. <laughs> Like I, I could see how they organically grew into this amazing thing, you know, and I would be concepting out like pieces of it, but you know, that's why it's so great. There's so many different ways of working, but I think it's amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I think what we talked about is great team and working with people better than you. I think that this project really reignited all that fire in, in, in me. It was a passion project and it was just all the right people. It's a very small team, but all, everybody was working towards our goal. Um, and using their own personal strengths to make the project better. And I love the team. It's just an amazing group of people. And yeah, just they were remote, right? Or did I read that wrong? Or yeah, it was all remote. Nobody was together in the same room. So that's great. Yeah. Testament that it can, it can be done. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely tough, but at the same time, if you have certain practices, but I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. 
that's it's one of those projects that I'm always remember because of the experience of it and going through it and also revealing it in Japan, which it's the first time in Japan. I was just blown away by the experience itself. It was just like <laughs> yeah, very eye opening. So yeah, it's very cool. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. We'll have links to everything, obviously, as usual, um, in, in the podcast. But I'm really stoked. And if you ever want to come back on, um, just let me know. I'm trying to get Eric on, so it'd be a lot of fun to maybe get you and Eric on sometime if you're up for it. So. Just let us yeah. know and we'll set it up. Excellent. We can we can talk about what, what got entered. <laughs> yeah, that could be a lot of fun. Just kind of talk about things and maybe navigate some interesting conversations about what work is and um, the levels of work that we like and things that we admire and why and stuff. That could be kind of fun. Yeah. Well, you, you know, as, as I can, you know, because we all love the love it so much you know we can go on and on so absolutely <laughs> no, no shortage there absolutely <laughs> you had it <laughs> yeah, definitely well th- thank you so much again right. and let's definitely uh, let's do another one sometime all right cool have a great day you too bye ciao and that does it for this week's episode thank you to karen for joining us this week you can find links to karen's work and all the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 102 along with links to our facebook twitter and itunes podcast page have a glorious day everybody be powerful be prolific peace out